The tricky part about these Q&As is I already feel like I've talked too long. So <laughs> last week I just blazed right through and I talked really fast. So I'm going to try not to do that this time. So one thing that might surprise you that <laughs> I, I, in some ways I kind of consider study for my job is I like to watch comedians on Netflix. And so <laughs> this, this seems really strange, right? Comedians don't really do what I do in some ways. And in some ways they do. <laughs> but, but I was thinking about comedians and, and what it is that they do. And, and most comedians, I was watching a few weeks ago and I was thinking about it and I was thinking, these guys aren't saying anything that's all that unique. Right, this guy that I love on Netflix, his name's Mike Birbiglia, and he's got this forever long story about a car wreck. That's not funny, is it? <laughs> a car wreck, that's not a funny situation. But he does it in such a way that he makes this car wreck an incredibly funny story. And so one of the things I was reflecting on with comedians, one of the things that they do really well is the way that they tell stories matters. And so I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, we as a church body, we tell stories, right? We live stories. We are a story in a lot of ways. And one of the things I think we have to recognize within that is sometimes the way we tell a story matters almost as much as the story we're telling. And, and a lot of times we want to, to undercut that. We don't want to think about that as much. But, but this story we're telling, this is a story about the Holy Spirit of God who came and decided to dwell not in an amazing gold temple, not in a place that was made over years and years, not a place that was made by decades, not, not even in perfect people or people that had it all together. This is the story of a Holy Spirit who came to dwell in the broken sinners like you and like me. This is an amazing story. This is a story about how a God of the universe wanted to go about redeeming all of humanity. And so he called a family to himself. And he didn't call a family that had it all together. <laughs> and he didn't make a family that all looked the same or acted exactly the same. He didn't call a family that had all the answers all the time. He called a family that was based on faith in Jesus alone. This is an amazing story we're part of. And this is a story in which we are called to be the body of Christ. So this is a story that God could do anything at any given moment. But instead, he calls you and he calls me to do his tasks here in this world. This is an amazing story we're caught up into. And unfortunately, a lot of times we don't tell it very well, do we? We don't tell this story very well. I, I, I encouraged you last week, think about the fact that your body tells a story every week. The things you do tell the values of your life. And one of the things I would encourage us as a church is that the things we do describe the values of our church. And, and, and one of the things, I, I mentioned how a lot of times bad stories go on a little bit too long, and, and several people approached me and started telling stories to me this week, and then they go, oh, wait, 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 let me cut this down a lot. <laughs> You're all fantastic storytellers, all right? You don't have to cut down for me. You tell me as long as you want to. The people out there are the bad storytellers, all right? <laughs> I'm talking about that. No, don't worry about telling me a long story. It happens, you know? <laughs> But one of the things we have to do when we're telling the story is we have to approach it with this editing that is fearless, right? We have to say, we are going to focus on the story we're called to tell and that story only. And so one of the things we talked about is, is how Stephen King talks about, talks about telling a good story. And basically he says, you focus in on the who and the what of the story. This is how you really tell a good story. You focus in on the who and the what of a story. A lot of times we, we tend to focus on, ver on adverbs and on 
adjectives. We, we focus on all these details that don't really matter. But Stephen King, who has written a few stories in his day, says focus in on the actions and focus in on who is doing the action. And so this is our story. We are the ones that are called to do the action. So what is this story we're telling? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Hopefully you're not tired of Ephesians 4 because we have one more week we're going to be here after today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul is speaking here. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And this is, I think, talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and and we're going to talk about that in just a second. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What are those gifts? Drop down to verse 11. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his body for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so I I think this passage gives us a really good insight into the who and the what of the story we're telling. Focus in on the nouns. Who did what? So, first of all, what is this story? Now, a lot of times we we talked a few, maybe more than a month ago, about this, this tribalism that is so rampant in our culture. And so what happens is all these other tribes want us to tell their story. They want to suck us in and make us tell the story that they're trying to tell. And so we talked about uh, the BMW tribe and how they want us to tell this story where you don't use blinkers anymore, right? (laughs) And uh, no, they didn't. So so what happens a lot of times is that we we start adding all these things to the story that we're trying to tell, and and we end up not telling our story very well. And Paul here, I think, is talking about the story we are telling. It is one body, one spirit. One hope, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And, and this would be an entire series on its own to talk about what this means to have all these things. And obviously there is some disagreement in what those things mean. But to me, if we lose sight of that, we're not telling the same story anymore. That is the central kernel. That is the, 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 the center point of the story we are called to tell. And so if we ever stop telling that story, we're not, we're not Jesus' church anymore. We're not his body So that's the what. That's the what of the story we're telling. And so now we're hoping to focus in on the who is telling the story. And one of the things that we're looking at, we are viewing this as if this is a list of spiritual gifts. Now, I want to reiterate, that's not the only way to read this this verse. 
There are some other ways to read this verse, but I think it does lend itself to a scriptural interpretation. I do think this is a scriptural reading. I just don't think it's the only necessary reading, if that makes sense. And so there are other good ways to read this, but I think this is a useful way. This is practical. It helps us to live it out. So one of the things that Paul goes back to over and over in his writing is that you are a body of Christ, and in the body there are different parts, and different parts have different jobs. Who has done a spiritual gifting assessment before? Who was completely overwhelmed at the number of gifts that was in that spiritual gifting? Like, how do I do this? How does any church possibly do this? And, and one of the things I love about viewing this as a gifting is that it simplifies things in such a way that we can actually put it to use. And so the hope in this is that these giftings are really more about what we do than how we feel or how we think or any of those other things. These are certain roles that we can adapt to. And so all of us probably has a primary one of these, but all of us are also going to probably have a secondary. And so you might find yourself identifying with a few of these. And what I would encourage you is as we start to look at ways we can implement this, you can try out different ways and see which one works best for you. That's the beauty of this whole thing. So last week we talked about the A, and that is apostles. And, and one of the things that we wanted to delineate is there, there is this difference, I think, between the apostles of Jesus Christ and then a common apostle of today. And so apostolos in the Greek simply means one who is sent. And so the big A apostle is somebody who is sent by Jesus. But the truth is when Paul died, the gospel had not reached the ends of the earth yet. And so people still needed to be sent. And so now we have lower A apostles, people who look for new contexts, new ways to share the gospel, new ways to fit the gospel into the world and to help invite people into the gospel. That's an apostle's job, the entrepreneurial type of spirit. It's also the apostle's job to invite others into ministry, to be a catalyst, to help empower, to help enliven people into the ministry. And so apostles have this difficult job of finding new contexts and also empowering people to do ministry in that new context. So we looked at apostles last week. This week, we're going to be looking at prophets and evangelists. Now, one of the common understandings of prophet is that a prophet is someone who tells the, the future. And I would encourage you to go back and look at the Old Testament prophets. See how many times they are telling the future versus how many times they are simply telling the truth. The apostle's main job, in my view, is to tell the truth. And here's the difficult part. Here's the part we're not going to want to hear. <laughs> Most of the time, the prophet's job is to tell the truth to the people of God. <laughs> So, so Nathan had this really difficult job, right? He didn't go out to the foreign kings and tell them how they were messing up. He went to King David and told him how he had sinned. And this is the job of the prophet. The job of the prophet is telling the truth to the people of God. And this is one of the most difficult of all giftings. And, and so we even see in the Old Testament, we see Jeremiah telling the truth to the people of God, and he gets chucked into a muddy cistern, right? <laughs> and he's left there and he's sinking for what? For telling the truth. So prophet is an incredibly difficult role within the church. So prophets are called to help us stay on the straight and narrow. They are called to help us see what our community is about. So if we're talking about the what of the, the body of Christ, the one body, one spirit, one, that's the prophet's job is helping to define and to remind us of that truth. So general traits of somebody who might be a prophet, they enjoy spending, spending time alone with God and sense his direction. So they, they are somebody that's particularly attuned with, God would want me to do this thing in life. They are somebody that listens well to God. They care deeply about values and integrity. So a prophet is not going to be able to compromise their values and integrity very well. It's really difficult for them to, to compromise. 
a prophet is able to get a clear picture of what's really going on underneath the surface. So prophets have a unique insight into why people are doing certain things, when they're doing them, what they're going to do next, things like that. Prophets have this, this way of seeing things without any kind of masks or delusions. Prophets are really important for seeing those things. Prophets often have creative and innovative solutions that others might not. Because prophets view the world in a unique way, they have this unique take on how to do things well. So, with that, those are some general traits. Churches that neglect prophets, and, and this happens more than we would like, uh, churches that neglect prophets often see their values start to drift. So they start to compromise by either adding too many things, by adding things that don't make sense in the story that we're trying to tell. They, they start to get comfortable and too routine. Prophets are the people that kind of jolt us out of our routine. They, they force us to be uncomfortable. They force us to reevaluate. Uh, churches that neglect prophets are the ones that take the easy path a lot of times. It's very easy to shoot the messenger, right? It's even easier in today's society to shoot the messenger. And, and that's our temptation with prophets a lot of times. If they tell us a truth we don't want to hear, we would much rather just not listen to them than embrace it and to make some change. Churches that neglect prophets often sacrifice integrity for popularity. And this is uh, still a difficulty today. So an isolated prophet, and this is something that is unique to the gift of prophets in my opinion, but prophets that are struggling tend to isolate and they tend to be alone. And so an isolated prophet can tend to become a nitpicker and a complainer. Prophets need to be grounded within community. They need other people in some ways to be prophets back to them. And so this is the hard part about being a prophet prophet will bring truth, but they also need truth spoken back to them. <laughs> and, and so prophets are in this incredibly difficult place where they're stretched, right, between telling people that they love the truth and, and also wanting to be involved and valued by the community. A prophet that's not properly grounded can do these kind of things. Talk about their own perspective as if it is simply the truth. And, and prophets have this obligation, I think, if they are convicted, that they have an obligation to weigh that in light of Scripture. Does their conviction line up with the truth that God has given us? Does this line up with the truth that we, we know already? Does this, are they just making things up, saying, um, the, prophet, the Spirit of God told me we need a new building program, right? <laughs> Seems a little strange. Prophets can sometimes tell it like it is a little too often. And so this is one of those cultural types of things. We love people that tell it like it is, as long as they're not telling it to us, right? As long as they're telling someone else like it is. And, and this... This is a difficulty for prophets because they have an obligation to tell us things we don't want to hear, but sometimes, if they're not properly grounded, they can do that a little bit too often. A prophet that's isolated can jump from community to community because they recognize the imperfections that exist in every community, and they're never satisfied. A prophet not properly grounded can't hold their tongues. They can't choose which battles to fight and which to ignore and a prophet that's not proper, properly grounded can tend to isolate. This is a way I think we ought to view prophets in that prophets are naturally antagonistic, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. If you think back to the way stories work, a story without a conflict is the worst kind of story, right? But this is also the story we want to live in, isn't it? <laughs> we want to live in a conflict-free story. We want all of the sunshine and the birds and the flowers but that's not real life. And so we need people to force us to grow. We need conflict to make us change. None of us change without conflict. And the prophet gives us that. And if we can embrace them, 
If they can be part of our community, they can force us to recognize the things that we don't want to recognize, and they can force us to grow. So they are a good antagonist. They can be a really important part. Our job, I think, is to listen and to provide important places for these kinds of complaint. Complaint is not always negative. Sometimes the dosages that we do it in is negative, right? So it's important sometimes to complain. We all need to do that, but we need to limit it, and we need to be intelligent about the way we do it. So if you look back at this chart, the prophet is helping set some of the boundaries of the people of God. The prophet is recognizing God's truth and bringing it into the community, communicating it back and forth. The apostle is stretching it into the future, into the the forward, and the prophet is helping us to recognize and to define where those boundaries are. The next is the evangelists. Now, evangelists, a lot of times we think of as somebody that simply shares the good news, and, and I think that is a, certainly an aspect of it. But, but sometimes you're just sharing the good news about a product you bought, right? <laughs> and in that situation, you are an evangelist for that product. And so evangelists are the inviters and they're the includers. These are the people that go out and they start groups with people down their block because this is a crazy idea, but somebody's got to do it, right? <laughs> this is what evangelists do. They start to include people that are on the outside. And so what are some general traits of evangelists? They're connectors. They enjoy introducing people. They enjoy networking. Evangelists are naturally relational, often extroverted, and often happy. These are people you want to be around. <laughs> we all want to be around evangelists. Uh, one of the things about evangelists is they often enjoy spending time with people that are outside of the faith, and so they, they get energy from this kind of thing. They get energy from dialoguing with people, from sharing Jesus' love with people. And, and evangelists can't help but rally and excite people. Evangelists are like the hype men <laughs> in, in church communities, and so I, I knew this guy that was basically the hype man. So whatever we were doing, he was like, everybody's going to do this, and it's going to be awesome, and, and that's what evangelists do. And, and I, this is the worst for me. <laughs> this is the thing I do the worst, and so I need evangelists around me to help people get excited about things. Churches that neglect evangelists often become too inwardly focused. Churches that neglect evangelists respond and react negatively to growth. So you need evangelists that look and they see new people as what they are, which is image of God that need community. Churches that neglect evangelists can get too comfortable. And this is an interesting side product that evangelists and prophets share. <laughs> prophets are kind of the antagonist, and, and evangelists are kind of the encourager, and, and so it seems like they don't have a lot in common, but if we neglect either of them, we can get way too comfortable and way too complacent. An imbalance towards evangelistic types can lead to shallow community. So we see this a lot of times when, when churches are, are fresh out of the gate and all they do is emphasize the evangelist type, or this is, how, this is who sets the tone for everything that they do. Suddenly we have a, a huge quantitative community, but the difficulty is that nobody is deeply connected because they are so shallowly connected. And so that, that's something that can happen if you overemphasize evangelistic types. If you overemphasize them, you can neglect some of the more tedious or organizational needs. And so these are the things I also hate doing, but things like keeping up with spreadsheets, keeping up with building usage. These are incredibly important tasks, and if you're going to emphasize the evangelist too much, you start to neglect these things, and then everything's falling apart around you. But you're having a great time. <laughs> so, so that's the thing if you, if you emphasize evangelists too much. Uh, you can emphasize numerical growth to the detriment of actual spiritual growth. And so sometimes you just think more is better, and so more, more means we won. But, but it's not necessarily all the case, and we know that. So 
we've got three parts of this harmony that we've started to kind of investigate, and, and so we're starting to see how it could take shape. We're starting to work on a little stew here, right? We've got a few ingredients of this recipe. We've started to see how this, so how could this look if we've got these three pieces? And, and what I want you to recognize is that these three pieces are the ones that are primarily focused on the borders of the community of God. So the apostles are looking for new contexts, new new ways to be church. The prophets are focusing in, making sure we're telling the story that God gave us to tell. Evangelists are inviting people, and so they're forcing growth. They're forcing that side of it to change shape. So these are all the shapers of a community. So what could it look like if we started to do these things together? All too often, churches try to do all these things all the time. And so the question is, is that even possible? It's a lot like we think of with our own, spirit, our own physical bodies, right? Can you sleep and make breakfast at the same time? No, that seems kind of silly, right? You sleep and then you make breakfast, assuming you make breakfast. So you do those things at separate times, and, and what happens a lot of times is as churches we get overwhelmed, right? We think we have to do everything for everyone all the time. And this leads to a, a crazy pace. This leads us to neglecting some gifts and emphasizing others. It leads us to a place where we, we really don't want to be. So what if... Bear with me here, this may seem crazy. What if we empowered and emphasized certain giftings at certain times of the year? So what if we had maybe uh, different segments, maybe we'd call it seasons where <laughs> certain groups, <laughs> sounds like a good idea. Uh, <laughs> so what if we had certain groups that did certain jobs at certain times? And so what if we as a church came together and we said, we are going to call all the evangelists together and we're going to have a great time, first of all. <laughs> and second, we said, we're going to call the evangelists, and then we're going to get a couple apostles and a teacher or two, and, and I'll tell you what they can do next week. But, but we called these people together, and we said, hey, we want fall to be a time of outreach for our church community. What could that look like? Help us think of ways that we can outreach our community in ways that we have not done before. And we give the evangelists this opportunity to start to, to investigate, to start to come up with creative new solutions for the problems that we're facing. What if then we, we called the prophets together and we said, hey, time to complain, right? <laughs> no, we, we said, hey, prophets, we need you to tell us what we're lacking as a community. We need you to tell us what is the number one thing we need to grow in. And so we got the prophets and we got this group called Shepherds and we said, hey, during the springtime, we are going to really focus in on, being, on, on fixing these weaknesses of our church. Prophets, we need you to tell us that. What if we started to do that? Not only would we see, I think, better results because the people that are gifted in certain areas are serving in those areas, we would also see an opportunity for people to serve for a, a sprint and then take a break for a sprint. So the, the evangelists are serving hard for the fall. And then we say, okay, now it's your time to take a break. You reset, you recharge, and we'll come back next fall and we'll do it again. To me, this is a way that we can empower all the different gifts. It would allow a well-rounded church and it would also allow clear time to recharge for everyone in a church community. So this is what we're going to be building towards. This is what we're hoping to see is that, that every one of these giftings has a unique time and a unique place to, to show this story that we're telling because we, we recognize we can't tell all the story all the time in all the ways. So we're hoping to tell parts of the story really well at certain times of the year and then parts of the story really well at other times of the year. So that's the start of what we're looking at. Next week, we're going to look at shepherds and teachers, and they, they bring life to the internal parts of the community. Teachers help to give us structure, and shepherds make sure everybody's cared for. And so these are going to be the, probably the two largest segments of a church community. Uh, and, and so next week, we'll kind of round that out. Um, and yeah, and, and hopefully we'll find some really practical, pragmatic ways that we can use these giftings as a church. Let's pray together, and then we will wrap it up.
Lord Jesus, we are uh, just grateful that we can serve your world and your, your body. And so, Lord, pray that we would be your body, that we would, we would recognize that we are the church, and wherever we go, we take you with us. And so, Lord, let us be your light and your salt in this world that desperately, desperately needs it. Lord, we love you. It's your name I pray. Amen. We are going to dismiss. Uh, next week, we are going to do another one last Q&A, and next week is basically going to be kind of a preview of the fall to come, and so we're going to look at some minor and some major changes we might make, and so please bear with us, and, and uh, if you have the prophetic gift, you can uh, address that in the hallway, I guess. I don't know. So we're, we're so glad you joined us here this morning, and, and thank you for worshiping with, with us, and, and may, as you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you and bring you back safe. Dismissed.